Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my webpage at dr-history.com for over 440 true stories of the Old West. Also, now available on Amazon, my first book, a historical fiction based on true events entitled Coal Miner to Cowboy. The story of a young man born in England in 1850. He wants to be a cowboy and makes his way to America, travels from New Orleans to Independence on a steamboat, hires on as a teamster to Santa Fe, then on a cattle drive to Bozeman, Montana. He also rides shotgun on a stagecoach. He travels with a wagon train, and on his two-year journey, he meets some famous people and keeps a journal of his adventures. The book contains a lot of the true stories from my podcast and is now available on Amazon. Visit my webpage for a link to Amazon for the book, Coal Miner to Cowboy. Hi, folks. Dr. History here with more stories from the Old West. Today, I'm going to talk about some uh, lawmen that sometimes played both sides of the law. So the first guy I'm going to talk about, his name is Frank Dyer. He was appointed U.S. Marshal of Utah in 1886 and served for three years. He was, uh, to put it politely, a careful man with his money. For example, after charging the government for seed potatoes, he had prisoners plant and weed the potatoes, then sold the produce to the government for use as prison food. Now, he took a similar approach with dairy cows charging the government for feed, having the prisoners take care of the cows, milk them, and feed them. Then he turned around and sold the milk to the federal prison. In a report on Dyer's improper practices, the Justice Department suggested he, quote, mend his ways. Now, another guy that you may have heard about, kind of an intriguing guy, lawman, his name was Johnny Behan. And his career spanned three decades. He was, among other things, a member of the Arizona Territorial Legislature, a sheriff of two counties, superintendent at the Yuma Territorial Prison, a school inspector, a tax collector, and a federal border inspector. Now, Behan is best known, of course, as the Cochise County Sheriff, who sided with the Cowboys, uh, some say they were wrestler, rustlers, in their dispute with the Earps in Tombstone, Arizona Territory. Unable to prevent the October 1881 gunfight near the O.K. Corral, he testified at length against fellow lawmen Virgil and Wyatt Earp in the, after the gunfight. Now, certainly uh, no hero, neither was Behan uh, an evildoer. That said, wherever he settled and whatever position he held, seems like controversy just seemed to follow this guy. He was perpetually in court, either being sued or suing somebody. 
Behan appeared in court five times to answer felony charges for actions rendered while he was sheriff of Cochise County. And those charges were ultimately dismissed, but they kind of fit a pattern for this guy. Behan tried to collect rent on property that he didn't even own. When Behan was discharged as warden of the territorial prison, the newspapers and courts had a field day, exposing him as a terrible administrator. Wherever he popped up, one could count on several things. He would win people over, he would land a good job, and during or after his term of office, there would be investigations, charges, and likely court action. Now, the next guy I'm going to talk about, is his name is Billy Stiles. And he served at least three stints as an Arizona Territory peace officer, including as a deputy for famed Cochise County Sheriff John Slaughter. And it was somewhat of a joke because uh, he really didn't do much as far as law enforcement. In fact, uh, Stiles uh, teamed up with another guy who was a constable by the name of Bert Alvord. Now, from time to time, Alvord would deputize Stiles, mostly to just go around to the saloons and check things out. And that was before the two guys decided that uh, they had a criminal uh, scheme. They robbed two trains, were caught and jailed, escaped, and were again caught. When they were released, Billy Stiles visited Alvord behind bars, and the two men somehow got away. Well, they got captured. Stiles was pressed into duty by the Arizona Rangers as a special agent to help track down Alvord. Instead, they got together, and once more they took off. Eventually settling in Nevada under the assumed name of William Larkin, Stiles became a deputy sheriff in Humboldt County, doing just kind of so-so work, and a lot of times offending certain parties by turning in one of their uh, cohorts. And so on December 5th, 1908, those parties shot down Deputy Stiles, thus ending his undistinguished three-badge career. Uh, as for the outlaw lawman Alvord, he took off for Central America and vanished from the historic record in 1910. Now, here's a guy you probably may have heard about, Tom Horn. His name kind of has a poetic ring to it, doesn't it? In his day, he was a prominent frontier personality. He served the Army in the 1870s and 80s as an outstanding tracker on various uh, sorties against the Apaches in Arizona Territory. He then ranched for a little while, served as a deputy sheriff sheriff during the territory's, uh, what they call the Bloody Pleasant Valley War, and Laird, Laird hired out as a gun hand, or some might say a paid assassin, for some livestock interests. Now, like Behan, wherever Horn went, controversy followed. He easily made both friends and enemies. For some years, he worked as a Pinkerton detective out of the agency's Denver office, though he was really not very effective. In April 1891, someone robbed a faro game in Reno, and soon after, local authorities apprehended Detective Horn on an outbound express train. A search turned up a mask, pistol, and money, and after the subsequent subsequent legal proceedings, however, Horn walked free. Now, according to fellow Pinkerton man, a guy named Charlie Seringo, the agency knew Horn was guilty, but they couldn't afford the hit to its reputation from a conviction. Well, in later years, Horn worked as a deputy sheriff and as a hired gun 
for a Wyoming cattle baron, in fact, several of them. And there, in a controversial drunken confession, he reportedly admitted killing a local rancher's boy with, uh, with his shot, with his gun, obviously. And he said, quote, the best shot I ever made and the dirtiest trick I ever done. Well, guilty or not, the people in Wyoming had had enough. Horn was tried, convicted, and hanged in Cheyenne, November 20th, 1903. So there's a whole big story about that uh, if you want to get a lot more detail about what happened with Tom Horn. Next guy I'm going to talk about, his name was Ben Thompson. Now, he was another lawman able to draw on lessons from, uh, from a checkered past, I guess you could say. The Texans who hired him must have figured that a gunfighter with experience on the rough frontier was just the sort of guy they needed as a peace officer. Well, Thompson was actually born over in England. He arrived in Texas as a young boy and grew into adulthood. He just kind of wandered, and he sometimes gambled, and he supposedly killed several men in Mexico uh, who walked through the saloons of Kansas, Texas, points in between. He got into gunplay with and other confrontations in Abilene and Ellsworth and other Kansas cattle towns. But he knew his way around. Figuring he was ready to work the other side of the law, he ran for city marshal of Austin in 1879, but he was voted down. Well, local politics shifted in his favor in 1880, and the citizens elected him marshal. The one historian claimed Thompson, quote, seldom spent a sober day on the job. Well, the people of Austin uh, were, they were pleased with him. They re-elected, re-elected him the following year. Now, the story continues. In July of 1882, during a family vacation in San Antonio, the marshal encountered a longtime enemy named Jack Harris in Harris's theater. Well, the two looked at each other, uh, kind of dirty looks, and Thompson assumed Harris was going for his gun, and he says, I drew and fired. Well, the marshal spent months in jail before being acquitted. Two years later, the theater's new manager gunned down Thompson in kind of revenge, a revenge killing. So that was the end of him. Next guy I'm going to talk about, his name is Bart Knight. Now, this is a conspiracy that involved a kind of a shifty Nevada lawman in 1910, and it centered around a a thing they called high grading. And what that is, that's the illegal removal of gold or silver from a processing plant. Now, the workers, typically, they might smuggle out some uh, ill-gotten gains in their lunch buckets or maybe in their pockets, but the gold-filled consolidated mill assayer who hatched the scheme had a more covert plan. Conspiring with the mill worker, a prominent local businessman, and uh, Sheriff Bart Knight, uh, who had been a former undersheriff of Esmeralda County, uh, and now he's constable, actually. The assayer persuaded the, consta- the consolidated employee to sneak into the mill at night, scrape gold amalgam off the plates, and smuggle it out. Well, the scheme kind of unraveled when a night watchman, the men bribed to look the other way, informed the company detective. The latter, they hired a stenographer to take notes during a secret meeting attended by Constable Knight, in which money changed hands and the mill worker was later later caught in the act. 
So the constable and the businessmen managed to keep out of prison. Uh, they said testimony was lacking, and their case was dismissed. dismissed but uh, Constable Knight's career as a lawman was over. He was done. Another guy, Henry Newton Brown. He was raised in Missouri during, uh, and he drifted uh, west, worked both sides of the law. He joined up with Billy the Kid's regulators during the Lincoln County War in New Mexico Territory. Then he headed down to Texas, where he became deputy sheriff of Oldham County. Brown later settled in Caldwell, Kansas, where he served as a marshal. Now, on an ego high, you might say, perhaps convinced he was above the law, Marshal Brown grabbed his new Winchester, recruited a band of like-minded guys, and headed for Medicine Lodge, Kansas, where there was a bank they decided was easy pickings. Well, things did not go well. On entering the lobby, the Woodbury robbers got into a deadly shootout in which the bank president and a cashier were killed. Brown and the gang fled under fire without a single dollar. They didn't get any money. A posse soon captured and jailed these fugitives, and pretty soon a lynch mob came to get them. Well, they burst through the crowd. Brown almost got away, but a shotgun blast ended his short-lived dual career. And in jail, he wrote a note to his wife and said, quote, I didn't think this would happen. Well, folks, uh, in case you're wondering, this didn't happen a lot. Uh, cases of crossing the line, shifting values, or downright evil doing was far from the normal among Western peace officers. On taking the oath, most of them fulfilled it to the best of their ability. There was a guy named Texas uh, Ranger John Reynolds uh, Hughes, for one. He was an example of good lawman. He boasted a three-decade career spent in the pursuit of criminals, occasional shootouts with them. He went wherever trouble raised his head, from El Paso to Brownsville. In retirement, the lawman who lived pretty frugally and saved diligently became the chairman and largest stockholder of an Austin bank. Well, Hughes uh, retains a prominent place in the Texas Ranger Hall of Fame in Waco, Texas. Another good guy, Canadian-born Seth Bullock, was elected to the Territorial Senate and much to do with early Yellowstone developments. Well, he headed over to Deadwood, Dakota uh, Territory. He accepted an appointment as sheriff. In addition to safeguarding local mining and cattle interests, he proved an effective forest supervisor of the Black Hills Reserve in 1905. President Roosevelt appointed him U.S. Marshal for South Dakota, a position he held for nine years. And here's a guy that served with integrity. Uh, he was a good guy. That was the hallmark of his life, service and integrity. Uh, Bob Paul's career in the Far West was also a model of dedication and integrity. Beginning with his arrival in California in the Goldfields in 1848, in 1854 he served off and on as a lawman for nearly 40 years. Paul, Bob Paul, was a sheriff in both California and Arizona Territory. He worked as a special messenger for Wells Fargo and in 1890 was appointed U.S. Marshal of Arizona Territory. You know, folks, of course, you know, few Western lawmen were as distinguished as these last guys I just talked about, let alone approaching the uh, prominence of guys like Virgil Earp and Bill Tillman and Charlie Seringo. But while the majority of mostly forgotten badge wearers 
may not have had what you'd call a stellar career, they nevertheless answered the call to service. They put in long hours, low pay, while safeguarding their fellow citizens. And thankfully, the dramatic, upsetting sagas of sheriffs planning bank robberies or getting drunk while on the job was really more the rare exception in the frontier West. So, you know, we often hear about the bad lawmen, or the lawmen that turned bad, but you don't often hear about the lawmen that stayed the course, they had integrity, they served, and unfortunately, sometimes were killed in the line of duty. So that's the story of uh, lawmen who served, served on both sides of the law. So that's our story for today. So folks, also, uh, if you uh, decide to get my book, Coal Miner to Cowboy, if you buy it on Amazon, please leave a review. I would appreciate it. And you can find that at my webpage, dr-history.com. And that's all for now, folks. Thank you. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.